Hello, my name is Paul Jeffries, and this is my in-depth legal analysis. That is my final project for Education 564 School Law at Eastern Washington University. The question I wanted to address is, do teachers have a legal right to take a student's cell phone at school? The case that I found is Rorbeck versus Nahomish School District. This takes a look at the Fourth Amendment rights of the student with regards to the confiscation of a cell phone and the reasonable search of a cell phone's content by school authorities, as well as the search of a vehicle. This case was decided by the United States, United States District Court, Western District of Washington in Seattle. The facts of the case. A senior at Glacier Peak High School used a forged note to get out of class to go to his car during the school day. He removed his cell phone from his car and the school security officer saw him, confronted him, and took the cell phone per school policy. The school policy regarding parking on school grounds is also going to be important for this case. The school security officer returned to the car after delivering the phone and the student to the office, leaving the phone with the associate principal or assistant principal and noticed that there was a possible drug paraphernalia in the vehicle. The assistant principal, while that was going on, was meeting with the student to discuss the matter. After talking with the student and conferring with the school security officer of what they saw in the vehicle, the assistant principal believed there was reasonable suspicion to search the student's car. They informed the student of this, and the student confessed to having drug paraphernalia in the vehicle after they were told the car would be searched. Upon searching the vehicle, the security officer and the assistant principal found multiple contraband items, as well as a BB gun and two knives. The school proceeded to give the student a 40-day suspension. The suspension was appealed, and the suspension was upheld with the possibility of only serving a 25-day suspension if the student were to go through a drug program. The issue, does the school have the right to confiscate the cell phone does the school have the right to search the cell phone and the vehicle? Here are the holdings. So the defendants asked for summary judgment on all points brought forward by the plaintiff. So to determine if sum summary judgment would be allowed, the court looked at the cases of Anderson versus Liberty Lobby and Matsushita versus Zenith Radio Court Corp. In Anderson, the court found that the court must view the facts and inferences to be drawn most favorable to, favorable to the defendant. So they're going to lean to the side of the defendant for summary judgment. And in Matsushita, the plaintiff must show evidence of a genuine issue that would require a trial. This also goes along the lines of the Section 1983 liability. So the, in the case of Learn versus City of Bellevue, the defendant must have deprived the plaintiff of some type of a right in Taylor versus List, the liability is possible only if it can be shown the defendant participated in the alleged violation of the right. In Harlow versus Fitzgerald, the school staff may did not clearly violate a right a reasonable person would have known. In LSO versus Stroh, the plaintiff must prove the existence of that right. And based on Cepetus versus City and City of San Francisco, the plaintiff did not meet any of these burdens. There was, they were able to not show that, or they were not able to show there was any violation of a right. Therefore, summary judgment on each of the points brought by the plaintiff would be under summary judgment. 
Along these lines, the New Jersey versus TLO case is going to be very important as we address the reasonableness of a search or seizure and search of a vehicle and cell phone. So looking at the case brought forward that the confiscation of the cell phone was a violation of the rights. In the case of Independent Towers of Washington versus Washington, the court does not have the responsibility to work for the plaintiff if the plaintiff does not bring case uh, case law forward. In other words, the court's not going to go back and look through all the cases. They're not going to do all the work of the plaintiff. The plaintiff has the burden of proof. Therefore, they need to do the work. In this case, that did not happen. So summary judgment was granted. The confiscation of the cell phone was legal. The plaintiff also claimed that the Fifth Amendment rights were violated because no Miranda rights were read to the student. In the case of Chavez versus Martinez, Miranda warning is only necessary in a custodial interrogation resulting in information that will be used in a criminal case. And then to determine a custodial interrogation, the the court, the case of J.A. versus Abington Heights was that a custodial interrogation, the assistant principal and principal must have acted on behalf of law enforcement. In this case, that did not happen and there was no trial. So therefore, the Chavez versus Martinez applied as well. So summary judgment was granted. The failure to do Miranda, uh, Miranda rights was not required. Therefore, that violation did not happen. The summary judgment is given to the defendant. In regards to the vehicle search, New Jersey versus TLO simply states that there must be a reasonable suspicion in order for a vehicle search to take place. Based on the conference and what the security officer saw, there was evidence that the search was reasonable. They saw something that appeared to be drug paraphernalia. And based on that evidence and then what the student told them that there was stuff in there after learning they were going to search the vehicle, that also gave them more reasonable suspicion that there was something in the vehicle. So summary judgment was granted again. The vehicle search was legal. The plaintiff also claimed that their due process rights of the appeal were violated. Based on this, there was a lot of case law that goes into making this decision. In the case of Independent Towers of Washington versus Washington, the plaintiff's claim of a hearing was met. The plaintiff's claim of bias was unfounded. And there is no cross-examination, which is not a requirement of the appeal. In Gravelet Blondin versus Shelton, if the rights were violated, the plaintiff has the responsibility to show that a district policy created that violation. In this case, did not happen. And then based on that, Davis versus City of Ellensburg determined that since the plaintiff fails to find such a policy, the claim is invalid. Therefore, summary judgment that there was no violation of the due process rights is granted. The last claim that came forward was the regarding their violation of the Washington Constitution. In Blinka versus the Washington State Bar Association, Washington courts have typically not created legislation. There must be legislation already enacted. This is up, upheld also with Reed versus Pierce County, which is a prior case. But the, the courts are not going to go out and create legislation if it's not there. They're going to leave that to the legislative body of the government. Since there was no violation found of the Constitution, there was no legal basis of that based on law, state law. The summary judgment was again granted to the defendants. 
The legal doctrine applied here would be New Jersey versus TLO, which is a very common case when it comes to search and seizure. Uh, more about what is reasonable. So what's a reasonable suspicion? And so there has to be evidence of that. The same rules for reasonable suspicion apply to vehicles as to cell phones. The issue with cell phones is that there's a lot more information on there that may not be appropriate for an administrator to look at. So they has to be extremely clear as far as cell phones go as to what you're looking for. In the case of GC versus Owensboro Public Schools, cell phones can be taken, but a teacher is not allowed to look through the cell phone. And administrators are allowed, but again, there's been a lot of issues with this because they could see things that don't apply at all to their reasonable suspicion. So they can't just search through a cell phone. They have to be looking for something very specific and they can't go overboard. In the case of State of New Jersey versus Thomas Best, the Supreme Court of New Jersey found that the reasonable suspicious standard is constitutional. This is also outlined in the article written by Scangio and Cote. The significance of this is that as a teacher, I better understand what my rights are. I was always afraid to take a student's cell phone because I didn't want to break the law or have a parent get upset, but I feel much more empowered now that it is a disruption in the learning process for students. And so I don't have any problems now if a student has a cell phone out that I will be taking it. The rule, the district policy is very clear on this, so I feel supported by that. However, as a teacher, I also have no right to look through the contents of a student's cell phone, which I've never done and I know that I won't do. As an administrator, there are many issues surrounding what is and not appropriate for looking through a phone. And I did talk to my building principal about this, and he said that he never looks through cell phones. He always will get um, our security resource officer to involved if there's going to be any search of a cell phone because they know a lot more of the legalities around it and what they can and can't do. It is safest to leave the search of a cell phone content to law enforcement. And vehicle rules are a little more concrete because there's not as much stuff you can hide in a vehicle, uh, whereas a phone can contain a lot of personal information. So if a car is parked on school grounds, then all an administrator needs is reasonable suspicion. So there's a lot of difference as far as what's contained in like a vehicle. If it's on the school grounds, you can search it. A phone, you have to be really careful about what you're looking for. There's still a lot to be determined as technology continues to change. As far as some other cases that I thought were rather interesting, they're outlined here in the references. So one of them in the Clendaniel article, you can't take my phone. Uh, there was a cell phone ban that was upheld in a New York court. So a school decided to ban cell phones. It got taken to court and the New York court upheld the cell phone ban. It was written well. And so it made it very clear what the expectations were. Even a, a better case in the same article, an Arkansas case, the school held a phone for two weeks. They took the phone, held it for two weeks, and then they mail it to the home certified mail after the two weeks. And that is the school policy. The student that the phone was taken in this case, the student that had the phone taken, his dad was a lawyer. So the dad brought the court case and it was upheld by the court in Arkansas. In the Sioux article, can a school take my kid's cell phone? The policies are there to protect the learning environment and the district policies have been upheld by courts. So as long as the district policy is clear, we're good to go. And then uh, the searching of the phone can be a viol violation of the civil rights. This is outlined in the Scungi Uncoat Article 4 and 4, the four cases that impact, impact the Fourth Amendment. I learned a bunch from this, and I've actually asked that 
I get to share this presentation at the beginning of the school year because I think a lot of teachers don't really know what their legal right is. And there's a lot of fear about taking something and then having something happen and losing your job. So this was very informative. Thank you for your time.